As the trends across technology, media, and telecommunications continue to converge, how are companies and investors preparing for the generational tailwinds and macro headwinds that are sweeping across the sectors? Nothing is worse for the technology sector than decelerating growth, rising expenses. But what I noticed at the conference last week were companies that said the idea of cutting costs for the sake of cutting costs is more behind us than ahead of us. Definitely a narrative shift to now is the time to invest for growth in a responsible way. I'm Allison Nathan, and this is Goldman Sachs Exchanges. For today's episode, I'm sitting down with my colleagues in Goldman Sachs Research, Eric Sheridan, who covers the U.S. internet sector and is here with me in the studio in New York, and Cash Rangan, who covers the software sector and is joining us from our offices in San Francisco. Eric and Cash will be sharing their views on how the macro environment, the health of the consumer, and of course, AI, are affecting companies and what that means for investors and ultimately consumers. Eric, Cash, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having us, Alison. Look forward to it. So let's start with takeaways from last week's GS Communicopia and Technology Conference. We hosted more than 2,400 senior leaders across the technology, media, and telecommunications sectors. Cash, first, just give us a sense of what the sentiment was like at the conference. First of all, thanks for doing this with us. Investor sentiment was a few more positive than it was last year because we had a generational shift in technology happen in the last 12 months since we had the last Communicopia and Technology Conference, September 2022, in the past 12 months. I'd like to say that both Eric Sheridan's life and my life, our lives completely changed because of generative AI. The sentiment and what investors are broadly looking for, science of generative AI starting to take hold in a mainstream way, whether it's happening or not, that's one thing. Second is, what is the impact of the macro on companies' businesses and how are CEOs and CFOs sounding today after having gone through one of the fastest rate increase environments that we've seen in corporate America, at least in our lifetimes? And third and final, what is the state of the hiring environment? I think the tech sector has been going through a period of retrenchment, layoffs, et cetera. And this is a sector that badly needs to invest in headcount capital in order to continue its growth trajectory. So there was a lot of expectation that we're going to hear an update on what companies are planning to do from initiatives that could help green state growth, such as hiring and CapEx. So that's how I would frame the sentiment among the investor community that was here at the conference. And so let's dig into some of that. If you grab onto the theme that you mentioned, Cash, which is how is the macroeconomic environment and backdrop playing into company performance? What did you hear companies say? I think the word that was most commonly cited, which I'm sure Eric also heard quite a bit, was stability. And that's the first sign of a recovery. So you want stabilization as opposed to declining activity. I think what we went through the last 12 months since we concluded the September 2022 conference was leading business indicators started to really take a bit of a hit. And we got to the point where the net new business activity declined pretty precipitously over the last couple of quarters or so. I think at this point in time, net new business activity has started to really not decline, but hit a stabilization level, which I think is very important. From this point onwards, how that stabilization converts into growth is the next big question. As long as the fear of a recession can be comfortably put behind us, and in that regard, we were really fortunate to have the conference kickoff be conducted by Jan Hatzius, our chief global macroeconomist, and also head of global research. He had lowered his probability of a recession from 20% to 15%. And I wish corporate America listened to his pronouncements. 
Because if that turns out to be true and that we are headed for great reductions in the second half of 2024, I think that lowers the cost of capital for a lot of tech projects and should really start to unfreeze the backlog of projects that have been held up because it is uncertain because no corporate CIO, CFO, CEO would want to engage in a technology project in the face of a recession. Those odds coming down, we do think sentiment on getting these projects going and getting the growth back up, therefore hiring to be supportive of the environment, those should all be headed in the right direction. And so what are we seeing on the hiring front at this point, though? Are we seeing companies starting to turn the corner in terms of headcount? Not yet. The growth companies are still hiring. The mature companies that had stalled are not yet. And that's the most important thing. We're looking to a Microsoft or a Salesforce, et cetera. Some of the big mature companies that went through pretty gut-wrenching layoffs to the tune of 10%. When they start to resume hiring again, I think we are probably in the clear, but that's not happening in a big way. But companies are open to the prospect of hiring for the first time in the past six to nine months, which is a really good sign. And so how optimistic are you that we will begin to see that into 2024? I do not know a single CEO of a software company that does not want to accelerate growth back again in 2024. I do not know a CEO of a software company that does not view themselves as very much in a growth mindset. Because the opportunity set all of a sudden with generative AI potentially posing a brand new tech spending cycle, nobody wants to be left behind, right? I think it's just a matter of time that if you want to cater to the demand in the pipeline that has been generated because of generative AI, if you want to go attach yourself to see these big strategic projects and enjoy that surge that this technology promises to provide to productivity, you're going to have to start to hire. It's inevitable. We're going to have to start hiring at some point. But it's this quarter, next quarter, Q1 of 2024, it's going to have to pick up. We've been in retrenchment for, for too long. And would you say the same for IT spending in your companies in this sector? It's interesting, a very relevant question that you asked, Allison. One of the companies that presented ServiceNow, the CEO of ServiceNow, made a very aggressive, and I hope he's right, he has been right so far, made a very aggressive forward-looking statement with respect to the state of IT spending. He, Bill McDermott, expects IT spending growth rate in calendar 24 to accelerate 2x the levels of calendar 23 growth rate. Now, if that were true, it's not going to be positive just for one company. It's going to be positive for the entire sector. So I think when you go through periods of retrenchment, it's easy to get caught up in the negativity and try to extrapolate the present. But to me, as an analyst covering the sector, it's the most fun time when we're coming out of a down cycle. That's when the rate of change, coupled with the excitement with new technology, not just economic conditions becoming more conducive, and we need to start hiring back again. But then we have something to look forward to. Like we came out of the 2009-2010 great financial crisis with cloud computing, right? Major catalyst for tech spending. So this time around, coming out of this cycle with the promise of generative AI, things are looking quite exciting. And Eric, let me bring you into the conversation. Given the main points that Cash had highlighted as points of focus, are you seeing some of the trends that Cash was talking about playing out in the internet company space? We're seeing more of the dynamic that consumer spending has sustained at a level that has persisted longer than people thought it would have six, nine, 12 months ago. I think in a rising rate environment, I probably have been asked more about when does the consumer tip into a recession, even in growth areas like the internet, more over the last 12 months than I ever have at any other point in my career. I've never quite seen a recession in waiting like this for as long as it has been in the minds of investors. And generally, in multiple pockets of consumer discretionary behavior, ride sharing, 
food delivery, travel, e-commerce. We had CEOs on stage last week who expressed demand is sustaining at elevated levels. Pricing is sustaining at elevated levels. Supply on the labor side is sustaining above where it was a year ago when a lot of these platforms had to pay higher wages and pay incentives to bring people back into their marketplace-driven workforces because the labor environment was so tight. So you literally have this balance of sustained consumer spending, supply of labor to meet the commerce initiatives that's creating a nice balance of supply and demand. I thought Uber's CEO, Darakaj Rashahi, struck the balance well. And he said on stage with me that this was the best he had ever felt about his business in multiple years going back to before the pandemic. So there's an expectation that this resilience will continue. There's still fear and cautiousness among investors. I would say investors have not yet pivoted to what I would call a risk-on mindset. When you think about it, you cover a range of companies from very large liquid ones all the way down to small, less profitable ones. There's still a lot more interest in the large, scaled, profitable companies inside the sector and building offensive portfolios around those types of names, as opposed to just you need to own every stock and valuation being less sensitive, which goes to another theme that I think was pretty persistent at the conference last week, which is management teams striking the right balance of growth and margin was something every investor wanted to hear about. All of us on the GIR side wanted to ask management teams about that. So that was probably one of the other big hot button topics in terms of businesses as they go into 2024. And in fact, one of the key themes seems to be more of a show me the profits type of theme. And so do you think that companies have made progress in that focus on profitability? They definitely have. And if we rewind the clock a little bit, we went through earnings season for Q3 of last year in October and November, and there was stagnating growth and rising investments. And to Cash's earlier point, there wasn't yet the generative AI theme to excite investors about secular growth in the broader technology sector. Nothing is worse for the technology sector than decelerating growth, rising expenses. That is something that will compress multiples very quickly. And you saw Probably the biggest degrossing of the sector I've seen in my career outside of a bubble bursting like 99 in the December, January timeframe. You've hosted any number of people inside Goldman Sachs on forums like this, Allison, that have talked about the sell-off in tech that occurred from November to January, February over that four-month period at the end of 22, beginning of 23. Companies got the message. You saw reductions in force. You saw slowdowns in hiring. You saw unprofitable projects being cut. But what I noticed at the conference last week were companies that said the idea of cutting costs for the sake of cutting costs is more behind us than ahead of us. You didn't yet see we're going to go back into full-blown hiring and full-blown investments, but definitely a narrative shift to now is the time to invest for growth in a responsible way. So you're going to see this mix of growth into next year that's married with rising margins, but maybe not the outsized improvement in margins driven by efficiencies that we've seen over the last six to nine months. And let's stay a little bit more into AI. Of course, as you both mentioned, the key topic of the day, the month, the year. And we've talked a lot about moving from the excitement phase of this new technology to more of the build phase. Eric, talk to us a little bit about how companies are looking to deploy AI in their products and strategies at this point and how much progress 
they made since just this first idea came to the market less than a year ago? Yeah, I think both Cash and I have stories to tell about how this technology will be deployed to the outside world. And then the link between our two jobs inside Goldman is the hyperscalers of the cloud computing landscape, where you're seeing a rising demand dynamic around needing computing to promote generative AI. With respect to the consumer, you're seeing in the shape of products like Bard from Google and ChatGPT from OpenAI. And the consumer has gotten used to interacting with these bots and engaging and creating content. And there's a bit of a rising narrative of how those products might change consumer internet habits. The most interesting dynamic over the last six months is they haven't been changed all that much just yet. We're still searching on the internet. We're still opening mobile applications. We're still going to browsers. So initial fear that it led to a big drawdown in stocks like Alphabet and Amazon in the months of March and April of earlier this year have abated as those companies have said, it looks like some of the big shifts in consumer internet habits are going to take longer durations to play out. The analogy here would be the shift from desktop computing to mobile computing. At one point in time, there was a lot of fear of disruption in consumer internet habits, but it actually played out over a much longer duration than the initial fear factor from investors years ago. The bridge between Cash's world and mine is cloud computing. There needs to be more computing power for all the development cycles that are going on. Alphabet as a company is a leader with Google Cloud. Their CEO was at the conference last week, AWS within Amazon or within my coverage universe. And we see stable to rising trends generated by AI that could be an interesting growth narrative as we turn the page into 24. And Cash, maybe you could speak to a bit more about how the software companies are attempting to monetize AI and where they are in that process. Practically every software company that presented at the conference, we had a total of about 50 plus. And personally, I was running Pointer about 27, 28 presentations. And the topic of generative AI was touched upon proactively or reactively during every one of these presentations. It's got massive consequences for productivity, whether it's the sales domain or the customer support domain or marketing domain, or developer, practically every professional worker, their role and roles and responsibilities, including our roles and responsibilities, stand to be profoundly reshaped over the next several years. I think software companies have increasingly started to put out a product in the marketplace. Microsoft has Copilot. Adobe just put out a product called Firefly. And the list goes on. However, the one thing that I would say is that maybe the industry and Wall Street got a little bit excited about the timing with which AI products would hit the marketplace and the timing of AI impact on revenue and profitability of a Microsoft, Adobe, Salesforce, ServiceNow. All that got a little bit too compressed in terms of expectation. The reality is that products are not shipping yet. Even the great Microsoft Copilot not shipping yet. There are 600 customers that have access to a limited control release. And we're going to see a parade of product releases hit the market starting Q4 of this year, Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4 of next year. So as these products hit the marketplace and we start to see the early read on productivity, I think the next leg is how do you build an investment case as to how these budgets can be justified? Something's going to have to give, right? There's not infinite IT budgets and tech budgets to finance AI projects. So this is where the best products are going to shine, the ones that have the maximum impact on productivity, as the front office or the back office. Their products will get sponsored and their budgets will be taken to the top of the priority stack 
And we're going to have to wait for another one to two quarters before we can start to see the real impact to productivity and the bottom line. So what indicators or metrics are you most closely watching to begin to identify what is really moving the needle on productivity as these products are released over the course of the next year? Once the beta program is done, and I think Microsoft's co-pilot beta program is well underway, 600 customers having access to this exciting technology, companies will be publishing the results of these surveys. Now, if you talk to very large firms, they have had access to the private beta and they have done their own internal studies and have released numbers, which I have heard anecdotally, the developer domain where the technology, the co-pilot technology has the ability to spit out code. So we don't need to be programmers. I'm generalizing at a super high level, but that has resulted in boost in productivity to roughly 15 to 20%. So if you look at the cost of a developer and look at the number of developers a firm has, you're looking at several tens of millions of dollars, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars in savings. So once this gets manifest in the mainstream, then you're going to see real adoption start to happen because who would not want to save tens of millions of dollars, or hundreds of millions of dollars? And so as we were discussing, Eric, these stocks that are so exposed to interest rates, and then you have this generative AI coming in, they re-rated lower, they re-rated higher. If we look at the universe today, where are we? And are you optimistic on valuation from here? Or is a lot of this already in the price? I am optimistic and among the companies in our coverage universe that are going to get this balance right, as we talked about before, of generating double-digit revenue growth, much better than what people feared in the October to December 22 timeframe, but against a rise in margin narrative. So there'll be investments for growth, but reallocation of resources in a responsible way to drive growth with an eye towards more profitability inside their broader mix. And I think those are the companies that are going to be rewarded with rising multiples. It is interesting, though, the downdraft in earnings estimates that occurred when people were worried at the end of 22 about slowing growth and rising investments has also led to an earnings revision cycle this year. So certain stocks, their earnings estimates one years out are double than what they were in December of 22. And yes, their stocks are up a lot, but the multiples have only gone up a little bit. The V-shaped downward draft and recovery in the stock market over the last 12 to 15 months has been just as much about earnings estimates as it has been about the multiple. And I think as investors get more comfortable with that narrative and aligning good multiples against good multiple versus growth stories, you can still see stocks work in my sector. And Cash, as you've been saying, a lot is yet to be seen and proven in your sector. So ultimately, how much is already priced into the stocks you cover? Or is there runway for a lot more upside from here as these productivity results are revealed? Yeah, I think if you look at the moment in stock prices, there has been a bit of a pullback and a realization that a lot of what investors have come to expect, and frankly, even analysts like we have come to expect, are we're not going to be seeing the result of that very short term. So you've seen companies put up good numbers, but just not raise expectations for next year because of January AI. The stock prices go down despite a good print. I think you've seen a healthy correction, and that might even continue a little bit more, especially because management teams that come out of calendar 23, are not going to jump up and down feeling excited enough to raise guidance or call for accelerating revenue growth at this stage of the cycle. So there could be some room for disappointment, but make no mistake, the longer term trends are certainly in place. And even if we didn't have generative AI, there is a cyclical component to this recovery that IT as a percentage of GDP 
IT as a percentage of CapEx, software as a percentage of IT, cloud as a percentage of software. It's all going structurally higher over the next four to five years. So where are we with respect to valuations? Look, valuations are a function of growth. The best companies in my space that have most attractive growth opportunities and put up the best growth and margins, to Eric's point, do command an extremely high multiple of 14, 15 times revenue, sometimes 40, 50 times cash flow. So I think the tech investor is very discerning. They don't treat this as a basket. They are looking for individual ideas. We don't own the entirety of the universe. You're looking for singularly, positively well-leveraged companies to major technology trends. And if you have to pay up to own the winner, historically, that's been the best way to achieve alpha in technology. Eric Cash, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Alison. Thanks. It's been great fun. Thanks for listening to another episode of Goldman Sachs Exchanges, recorded on Friday, September 15th, 2023. If you enjoyed this show, we hope you follow on your platform of choice and tune in next week for another episode. Make sure to share and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.